0: Please open it to Proverbs chapter five. Proverbs chapter five. This is going to be uh, either a very uncomfortable topic, but I think it is. Uh, you know was in the Bible. So to teach it because the Bible is a, is a book that will equip us to live a life of godliness, and um, it's in here to cause us to be mature in godliness so before we start let's open with the word of prayer father thank you for your word um specifically the book of proverbs i'm so thankful for just how practical this book is in forcing us to um think deeply um, about your word and how to apply it and um this a simple book uh to learn but yet it's book really to master and we do pray that you can work in our hearts and keep learning uh and working through uh, different parts of proverbs that we will um, that we'll grow as godly men and women um, in hopes that uh, you'll be honored in all that we do. Uh, be with us during this time. Praise in your son's name. Amen. There are certain conversations that, in life that is going to be very difficult. Uh, if you've read through Proverbs chapter 5, you'll know what I mean. Um, if you haven't, a uh, there are certain. Uh, but I what to it was, make yours uh, louder. Whoa. So it's like to me I just heard a voice I thought that was hallucinating. <laughs> um, when it comes to the topic of sex, it should be the responsible of godly parents uh, to teach their kids about this. Uh, godly parents, and I hope that is something that all of us aspire to be, uh, must be willing to shepherd and teach their potential future children about this, uh, because if we, uh, as parents or uh, future parents, if we don't do it the world will. And when the world teaches uh, about this topic, it's often distorted and it's um, not according to God's word. The home is the pl- first place where it should be safe uh, for people to talk about this. And the second, I would argue, is the church. The church, it should be a safe place to talk about this because when we're talking about this particular subject, it, is, uh, it's, it should be uh, grounded in how God designed um, uh, intimacy. Um, The world has perverted and corrupted way in terms of its description and especially its application. The church, in particular, the word of God must be a place where believers should be able to have a godly conversations about it. And by this, I I do want to say that I don't mean that guys start asking the ladies in in the Bible study and vice versa. I, I think that's unwise i do think that if you want to learn more about it there are um older people in our church even in our bible study that is ahead of, of us in life you should ask them these questions as a part of this uh, the discipleship relationship you should be transparent about these things it's good to speak openly about life with those that are in the church because we have the word of god that will guide us in our thoughts and in our actions I believe when we get when we look at this chapter, this is one of those very hard topics to talk about because it is going to be very uncomfortable. Um, but the Word of God is pure and it's real, and it's not designed to it is not designed for people to stumble into sin, but rather it's supposed to guard people from sin. Uh, Solomon, in the next few chapters, from chapter five to seven, is really having the talk with his son, um, and he's speaking about what happens if, if someone misuses intimacy or if they. Um, uh, abuse God's gift uh, for married people. This passage is a warning to a son that has no idea how dangerous the world is going to be. Solomon wants a son to to, to grasp and understand the dangers of sexual sin. At the time of his writing, could, it, it would seem as though that Solomon didn't fall just yet. Uh, Solomon is trying to teach his young son, who may not be married yet, but he speaks at, in, in terms in marital terms how to guard yourself from sexual sin. <clears throat> We know through the text of scripture that Solomon fails in this area, but that doesn't mean that the things they saying is not true because it is uh, inspired and breathed out by the Holy Spirit, and so he's writing these things um, from the Lord. And just because Solomon failed, um, that doesn't mean that we can't take what he's saying seriously, but rather we actually need to learn from his mistakes. Uh, Deuteronomy 17 tells us that the king uh, is not supposed to have multiple wives for himself, or else his heart will be turned away from the Lord. Uh, and people commit sexual sin often because it's a response to some deeper root issue. <clears throat> it seems for Solomon, there are two primary streams that led him to an ocean of sin. On one stream, uh, Solomon wanted to achieve fame and wealth, and uh, marrying all of these foreign wives was a, was uh, was the means by which he could do that. Many of his wives were for political reasons; um, they would marry like they would marry some politician's daughter, so now there's like a peace between them. Um, and it gave him a sense of success, which is a form of pride. And what is scary and sad about this, about this is that Solomon was already famous. Uh, he was already successful, but he wanted more. Solomon was not satisfied with his massive success. He wanted more, even at the expense of his own testimony, <clears throat> but more importantly, at the expense of his own holiness. Uh, this should be a quick lesson for us, if, if, for us to understand that if we're not content with what we have in the moment, having more will not make you content. Don't assume that marriage is going to solve your discontentment issues, especially when it comes to sex. If that were true, there would be no such thing as affairs. But we know living in a fallen world, uh, people are are, are going to assume and lie to themselves, thinking if they have this, then they're going to be happy. They're going to be content. But the reality is that's not always the case. Sin makes you believe that uh, marriage will diffuse your, your sexual inclinations, although it may help. In reality, it has nothing to do with your status, but everything to do with your affections for God and contentment in him. Uh, the other stream that Solomon, had uh, reason why he had all these uh, wives and concubines is because he just wanted pleasure. He wanted an overindulgence of pleasure. Misplaced pleasure always leads to misery and God's design for sexual pleasure is, in, is designed in the right context of marriage. But sin makes you think that you can have that without uh, and thinking you could be happy doing things outside of God's um, confinements or his rules. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse four, it reads, marriage is to be held in honor among all and the marriage bed is to be undefiled for fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Um, God delights when, when two married people enjoy the gift of intimacy It's designed by him as a gift Um, and it's it's supposed to be in that context where people can enjoy it. Um, You'll never be satisfied in life if the thing that drives you in life is just to live for pleasure. That's how the world acts, that's how the world thinks. The world often brags about how many people they've been with and often frown upon those who who choose to save themselves for marriage. The world brags and and, and really it's just a sinful pride. You need to ask yourself, what is the root of your sexual sin? I think that the solution to guard oneself from sexual sin is the same regardless if you're married or if you're single. In fact, again, Solomon is speaking to his son about marriage before his son is actually married. The principle here applies to both the single people here as well as the married people here. Purity is purity because it seeks to live a life that conforms their thoughts and their actions to what the Lord expects. God commands us all to be sexually pure. If you want to be a wise and mature Christian, you must be someone that knows how to guard your own purity. Sexual sin is actually having, is, is, it has a reverse sanctification in your life. It makes you more worldly. Sometimes we use the word backsliding. It's the idea that you've, you become less like Christ and more like the world. If you want to continue to grow in Christ-likeness, if you want to be more mature, then you must be sexually pure. You must put away sexual sin. You c- cannot expect to be godly if you're dabbling in sexual sin. In fact, in my personal life, in my personal observation of life, uh, the people that in my life that have left the faith, they all left because of sexual sin. There's not one person that I know that left because of some sort of theological arguments or that they, were, that they thought, oh, Roman Catholicism makes sense or Mormonism, oh, well, I'm all about that, or so even some sort of scientific debates. It's always a, conf- a confines of some sort of sin, and generally it's some sort of sexual sin. This is why it's crucial for us to guard our own purity because sexual sin is destructive to your spiritual walk. It is spiritual suicide. So, when we, we, as we go through chapter five this this evening, we're gonna ask the question: How can we guard ourselves? How can we guard ourselves from sexual sin? Four four ways. First is that we need to discern deceptive and dangerous words. We need to learn to be discerning when it comes to deceptively dangerous words. Look at verse twenty, chapter five. My son, give attention to my wisdom and incline your ear to my understanding Solomon starts by saying my son this is usually you describe a young man solomon begins by telling him to, to, to pay, give attention literally to give yourself to the wisdom that he is hearing from, from his father this is a father that's pleading with his son to take hold of what he is about to hear remember that solomon in the context is the wisest man alive all that he has is given to him by god and, and is given in particular, the subject matter is given to him by the Lord. is a divine gift that God has given Solomon. Yet Solomon misused his gifts. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, we see that Solomon used all his might and strength to pursue pleasure. And in the end, he realizes everything was empty. And in that book, he concluded that all his escapades, all of his journey, all, of, all the stuff that he's done is completely useless. Solomon should have known that, but he was unwise in the application of what he knows. Verse 2 that you may observe discretion and your lips may reserve knowledge. Solomon wants his son to listen to his teaching with his ears and then live by it by walking in the right path. Um, this phrase, your lips may reserve knowledge. It's a fascinating statement because it means that a person can know how to speak on the subject if godly wisdom is instilled in his mind. Solomon is saying that if you listen carefully and pay attention, you will know how to respond when sexual, fe- sexual temptation appears in front of you. Verse three, for the lips of an adulteress drips honey, and smoother than oil is her speech. Um, you'll notice uh, in the NASB, it uses the word adulteress, and the original is more like the, you could translate this as the strange woman or the foreign women. This means that someone that doesn't belong to you or so, or doesn't belong to the person they want to commit the adultery with. It's basically, it's basically, this is someone that encourages anyone to have some sort of sexual experience with someone outside of marriage. Um, this isn't saying that Uh, The sermon is not, this message or this verse here is not directed to young men about how only women are are capable of doing this. Um, Solomon is speaking to his son, so he's speaking, um, you know, obviously in terms of women, but he's, the principle applies to both male and female. Uh, You need to stay away from the the male and female that will try to lure you with their speech to sexual sin. So, you know, don't be too caught up by the, the pronouns here. Solomon warns his son to watch out for this person's speech. He's saying that in the moments of, of temptation, he hopes that his words that he's saying to him right then and there will guard him against the strange women. This word lips is not actually talking about like kissing the other individual, but rather the content of what the adulterer is trying to say. In our language, it would be someone like he's a flirt or he's trying to woo them with the intent of making them fall into sexual sin. You know, They'll say things like, oh, you're what we're doing is okay, I love you. Uh, um, How can there be some sort of confinement love you? Any type of thing that deludes you to think that what he wants or he or she wants to do with you is actually okay. Sometimes when Proverbs speaks of smooth speech, it's often referring to a prostitute trying to win someone. I just wanna say that in general, it is better for you to compliment the opposite gender's character more than their appearance. I'm not saying that you can't say, "Oh, you, you look nice today." I uh, think these, these things aren't inherently wrong, but if it, the majority of things that you say toward the other person is based on only their appearance, then there's something wrong there. You, you want to do your best to compliment their character instead. Uh, when you're married, you can say whatever you want to your spouse as long as it's edifying and loving. Um, but when you're not married, and this includes those that are single and they're or you're dating or if you're engaged, you need to be wise in in how you compliment the other person. Uh, there are certain things that you say that's going to cause the other person to stumble. So you need to be wise in terms of what, uh, what you're saying. And you, need to, you can guard your own hearts. There are certain kind of language that are reserved for those that are married. And Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speak. So think when someone's trying to say something to you that is, has innuendo or, or some sort of flattery to try to win you over to do some sort of sin, you already know what's in their heart. Don't be flattered by words, but be discerning when people are, are talking to you. Notice in verse 4, but in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. The result of what is seemingly flattery um, or or flattery speech ends up being bitter and pain. Wormwood is, is the most bitter type of plant back then. In our day, it would be like if you ate like bitter melon or something or something that leaves a bitter taste in your mouth. A two-edged sword is something that's designed for war. It's made for killing. Um, however you swing, it's supposed to inflict the maximum amount of damage on the other person. What well, Solomon's trying to get at is this person, this adulterer, is deadly. This person is trying to sway you uh, to have sex with them, and that is someone that who is, that's very dangerous. Verse 5, it tells us how dangerous this person is. Her feet goes down to death. Her steps take hold of Sheol. This is someone that's willing to lead you the path of death. Verse 6. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways are unstable. She does not know it. The adulterer does not ponder the way of life. God has designed uh, sex for marriage and marriage for sex, and the, the adulterer doesn't care. This person lacks external instruction and inner consequence, and this person has no ability to discern right and wrong. The adulterer doesn't care about what is right and what is biblical, but try to sway people to commit sin that deny biblical truth in our modern day context, especially in this climate of shelter in place, chances are uh, the reason why you will stumble is, is not someone actually saying something to you in person, but rather what, you, what you're doing in private, whether it be images, websites, pornography, literature, whatever that sways your heart from thinking of, of having a biblical view of intimacy is a distortion of what God has intended. Whatever you watch, whatever you read, or, whatever you spend, or whoever you spend time with, uh, though, whoever, whatever those things can potentially lead you down a path of death, it will make you think that the things of scripture is not true. You must see the dangers of sexual sin and unmask the lie that is in it. It is a fantasy that wrecks your reality. Be wise and stop making mental gymnastics to justify any form of sexual sin. <clears throat> I know that there are, this is a really caution to those that are hearing seductive speech, but I also wonder if some of you are more identifying with not just the one that's hearing these, this, the, the words that are being said, but you're actually the adulterer saying these things. Sometimes it, it, this happens even in the context of church. Some people in their language, they're a smooth talker, and they think that, oh, well, I'm a Christian. I could say these things. It's loving. It's building up the other person. But in your heart of heart, you're actually trying to tempt someone to fall into sin. Now, if you are being swayed by smooth speech or you are the smooth talker yourself, the solution for both is to repent, to stop it. Stop it because it is offensive to the Lord. Guard your, your own ears and, and in turn your own soul requires you to actually constantly protect your purity through the word of God. <clears throat> Psalm 119 verse 11 tells us that uh, the person keeps God's word in his heart so he does not sin against the Lord. Psalm 37 Verse thirty-one. It says that the law of his, the law of his God is in the heart. His steps do not slip. John seventeen, seventeen reads, um, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Is the point of being that it's God's word that sanctifies you. You need to make time and devoting your mind and hiding God's word in your heart so that if when someone's trying to tempt you or sway your heart, you can use God's word to defend it, to guard it from doing things that are offensive to the Lord. This is the argument of the importance of God's word in your own life. If you're the tempter, then guard your mouth can only come when your heart is changed. You must repent whatever darkness is in your heart if you want to honor the Lord with your speech. Not only are you to... Not only do you need to discern deceptively dangerous words, but if you want to guard your purity so that you can be a mature Christian, you must distance yourself from the adulterer. You must distance yourself from the adulterer. Verse seven, now then my son, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Solomon begins the application here. If if those things they said in the first six verses were true, then this is what you must do. Interestingly, he speaks in the plural here, he says, my sons. Um, I don't think the point here that he suddenly gathered all his other sons here um, to talk to all of them, but rather he's saying that if you, he's telling his son and his, he wants his son to, t- to tell, teach his son and his son to pass what he's learning. It's like a generational thing. Remember, Psalm is a king and every one in, in his line is supposed to be part of the royal line. And oftentimes we, we, we say that in the, or in the Old Testament, this is the son of so-and-so and then that, that means that they're connected to the, um, you know, the Davidic line. Solomon hopes that his son will pass his teaching to his future son so that they can preserve the family on the throne. Now, again, ironically, Solomon is one that failed <laughs> and that what wrecks the entire kingdom as a whole. Verse 8, keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. Solomon's instruction here is in the imperative. It's not a suggestion or, or, or advice. This is a command that his son must stay away from her. Don't go near her. Flee from her. Uh, we, we know in, in the book of genesis uh, joseph is a perfect example of this joseph was um working and he was in egypt and he was faithfully working and Potiphar's wife was trying to seduce him and uh he uh resisted he told him how, how could he sin against um someone who's against uh Potiphar, who's who, tra- who treated him so well it's genesis 39 verse nine, it said there is no one greater in this house than i and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? So Joseph understood that his action is before the Lord, even though it, it was, even though uh, he, he didn't want to sin against uh, another human being, he knew that God is watching him. And we need to understand that too, that when we are um, being tempted, you need to run. You need to run because, uh, um, you know, there's nothing cowardly about that. Uh, some things you just need to just stay away from and that's a lesson that we need to learn we need to keep our distance from those that are that are that would, would want to tempt us into into sexual sin and isn't it isn't interesting that our world is so obsessed with social distancing now you know with people wear like gloves and mask and keep distance and do all these physical things to keep themselves safe but when it comes to sexual sin there isn't the same concern like there isn't that same concern or, or, or desire to protect yourself spiritually. But When it comes to physically, we'll do anything and everything just so we can avoid the, avoid the virus. But when it comes to sexual sin, do you still do you have the same type of mentality? You need to keep your distance away from the adulterer. Um, just don't go near it. Be wise and discerning enough and just stay away. Some of the most profound answers to the question of purity can be resolved in the, in the most practical and simple answers. Just stay away. Stay away and continue to stay away. How far are you willing to go to stay away from sexual sin? Solomon in this verse doesn't even go, he's instructing his son, don't even go near it. Stay out of the proximity of the object or subject that causes you to fall into sexual sin. Stay away from the door of her house. Do whatever you can to keep your distance from them. Not only are we called to discern the deceptive words of the adulterer or distance ourselves from uh, the adulterer, but third, you need to determine the destruction of the adulterer you need to determine that you need to start thinking that in determining the destruction from the adulterer i realize i'm not in Psalm or proverbs proverbs uh five verse nine or you will give your vigor to others in your years to the cruel one solomon here begins to warn about the aftermath if someone actually falls into sexual sin so when he's giving this instruction and then he's telling don't go near the house and if that person does go and, and does not heed the warning of solomon this is the result of that the result is that they're going to they're just going to wreck their life the result of that person is shown in verse 9 to 11. this verse, in particular speaks of losing all of one's strength and notice solomon says is you give the person that engages in sexual sin does it on their own accord if this person is not is responsible for their own downfall they are the reason why they fall um, Verse 10, and strangers will be filled with your strength and your hard-earned goods will go to the house of an alien. The point being is that that those that you allow yourself to engage in sexual sin with, is going to drain you of your livelihood. The stranger is going to keep taking from you and taking from you until there's nothing left. And this is both a physical and economic ruin. The idea here is that the person is willing to use some people are willing to use money to pay for sex while others try to use money to cover up sex and whatever uh, extreme a person may be they're going to do whatever it takes uh to try to cover it up and this is what you know we've seen with politicians and and all the people in hollywood right like the whole me too movement they're just trying to use money and and try to bribe people from covering up their uh their 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 actions um people are willing to uh, to do whatever it takes to protect themselves even if it means they lose all of their um you know all their finances Verse 11, and you groan at your final end when your flesh and your body are consumed. Solomon speaks of the person that realizes how much pain he was in. The person that commits themselves to the strange adultery will have their body wasted, exhausted, and used up uh, as they reach the end of their life. This momentary pleasure will be overshadowed by the darkness of sexual sin. According to the American Psychiatric Association, 40% of divorces happen because of affairs. Um, (coughs) Divorce is devastating for your life in there's a list that said like the second most stressful thing that you a person can go through is a divorce and and when in order for you to end a divorce is very costly um whether you have to start paying child support or alimony or the broken home or lonely loneliness and pain and regrets sexual sin is costly and sexual sin wrecks lives it is most apparent when you're married, but it starts when you're single. This is why we're going over this particular topic, um, because I want us to be able to guard ourselves, to have this realistic expectation that just because you're single doesn't mean you can't stop protecting your purity or think that well, if I get married, then it will all just suddenly go away. No, it doesn't. Uh, as you uh, will find out that, um, you know you you will get old your spouse will get old and discontentment might creep in again you need to be content and satisfied in the lord otherwise you might be or otherwise you'll drift away uh to, to discontentment which will lead to more sexual sin this is why for most of you during your single years especially your desire to get married is that you need to you need to win this battle now your heart is too deceptive It it may, it may make you it may make you think or lure you to think that you can change after you're married you need to forget that listen to the scripture and repent now you have no assurance that your flesh will suddenly become obedient to god's word the moment you become married guard your heart now and and, and follow the lord now verse 12 and you say how i have hated instructions and my heart spurned reproof solomon here is saying that a person will say the moment they reach their end they realize that the problem was not their conscience didn't warn them or that they weren't taught this or even their um, or, or that they didn't see in other people's lives they just they had all of these warning signs and they still fell into the same sin verse 13 i have not listened to the voices uh, i have not listened to the voice of my teachers nor inclined my ear to my instructors this again is someone that um, acknowledges that they did not listen to sound teaching those that uses the plural for teachers. Uh, there were multiple people that taught him and he still didn't listen. Uh, one of the things you find in counseling, whenever I, I have to counsel someone, I usually ask them, you know, have you talked to anyone else about this? And I ask because it gives me an idea of whether or not they're teachable. Uh, because if they talk to everyone about this and 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 there's the same type of like, advice, the same type of suggestions, then really they're just looking for someone to just agree, um, just to find someone to agree with them. And oftentimes as a person, uh, if other people spoke to him and they haven't listened, chances are they're not going to listen to me. It's not like I'm going to say anything profound or new. Um, You have to ask yourself, are you this way? Do you reject wise and sound teachings of teachers in your life regarding sexual sin? Solomon is trying to teach his son to listen now so he doesn't have to get to this point in his life. The result of falling into sexual sin is utter remorse and regrets. Verse 14, I was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly and congregation. um, Everybody found out is what he's trying to get at. Uh, Maybe uh, one way to ask is this, is it worth it? Uh, This is a public disgrace. disgrace. The consequences of secret shame is public shame. People will eventually find out. Uh, Numbers 32, 23 tells us that your sin will find you out. Uh, Don't assume that just because you haven't been caught in like a uh, in the, in the moment or in the month or years or whatever you think you can get away with that you can somehow uh that they won't reveal itself i know of someone that found out that his spouse that their spouse cheated on them because they went to the doctor and found out that they had an std and that's how they found out that their spouse cheated on them because they didn't you know they were faithful but the other person wasn't it's a sad reality, and I hope that this is actually something you pray for yourself, for your pastors and elders, and all that on all the believers that you know to live a life that's above reproach. It's a fight for all of us, and we don't we don't want to have any secret sins that will go public because that will shame the name of our good God. Learn from those that fail, so that you don't have to. Solomon failed, Abraham failed, David failed. Look at their lives and see how destructive it is, so that you can. Um, guard yourself from it. We went through the Book of Judges last year. Uh, we talked about this, um, and you, you have to understand, like the, the the effects that happens to them, it will still can still happen to us today. The warning here is to look to those who fall, or even perhaps imagine your own life of what will happen. You have to explain to the people around you about why you committed the sin. Not only are you, in order for you to be a mature Christian, you need to discern the words of the adulterer or distance yourself from them or determine the destruction from adultery but lastly you need to delight in your spouse actually that's not the last one this is the next one there's one more point after this delight in your spouse solomon is speaking to a son who is a, who's single at the time and solomon's warning him and even trying to give him some safeguards for him in the future uh, this this you'll notice this is essentially the, the put-on principle of repentance. In, in, in biblical counsel, we say you put off sin, you put on something else, right? So you put off sin, or you put off sexual sin, you put on contentment. This is the put-on section. Uh, the lesson we have here so far is to put off all of these different sins, to, to flee from sin, to get away from sin, to, to, go <laughs> to guard yourself from sin. Now it's like, okay, so what else do you need to do? It's, it's the actions that you need to do in the positive sense, verse 15 drink water from your own sister and fresh water from your own well this is figurative language to drink water from your own sister means to have marital faithfulness to delight in your own spouse um, this verse assumes that the spouses belong to one another and there must be this exclusive and unique relationship between a husband and the wife we see this in first corinthians 7 um, the bible does not flinch when it comes to the beauty of intimacy in the context of marriage um, this word cistern is a metaphor of, of, of someone's spouse. Um, a cistern back then in the, in the Old Testament times is this huge hole in the ground used to store water. Sometimes people would use it to store um, you know like grain and, and things like that but um, it's usually a cistern is, 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 is for private use. Uh, the ones that's in public, that's called a public well, that's where the community go and share. But a cistern is, is usually for someone that's wealthy and when they have that that means that they are someone that's blessed because they have enough to be able to have their own little property here. Um, and this word cistern here is, is supposed to be like a metaphor for your spouse. Drink from your own spouse, like be delight in them, delight in your spouse only. This word also is in the singular. Solomon, although he failed in this area, attempt to instruct his own son to enjoy his spouse and his spouse alone. God invented sex uh, and is a good gift to married people. It is essentially the wedding gift from the Lord. And if that is true, then you don't want to open the gift early. Um, if you want to be sexually satisfied, enjoy it in the context of your spouse. Verse 16, should, you, should, should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets? There's a contrast here between verse <coughs> excuse me, verse 16 and 15, and that verse 16 is something that uh, speaks of public use in vi- 15 is, is something they use in private. There are things that are meant to be used publicly, and there are things that are supposed to be exclusive. Marital intimacy is one of those things that's meant for people that are committed to a marital covenant. That's why in verse 17 it reads, let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. This is meant to be, it's meant to be private between a married couple. Um, don't be with someone that doesn't belong to you, and don't be with someone when you belong to another. Verse 18, Let your fountains be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Um, The saying, just enjoy your spouse. Um, uh, The saying that a person needs to only find sexual satisfaction and delight in their own spouse. Verse 19, this is a verse that will make people blush. As a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. Pursue a loving relationship with your spouse. The verse ends with something that's more important than physical intimacy. It says, be exhilarated with her love. To be exhilarated means to be satisfied by her love. This goes beyond the bedroom. It means that you, yes, you can enjoy the physical intimacy with your spouse, but what is more important is the relationship that you have with your spouse. Solomon instructs his son to enjoy the friendship, the relationship that, uh, that, that one has when they're married. Enjoy everything there is about your spouse. Verse 20, for why would you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosoms of a foreigner? This is a rhetorical question. Knowing what you know so far, then why would you go and try and give yourself up to a foreigner? And a wise, mature believer has self-control. Their desire and affections are towards their own spouse and their spouse alone. Um, and if you're married here, then the question you need to think about is are you satisfied with your spouse? What areas in your life do you see that you need to work on so that you can ensure that your relationship with your spouse is guarded? Now I know the majority of you are single. You're not, Don't 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 tune me, don't tune me out here. What if you're single? Two responses. First, get married. Uh, sometimes uh, Kelly, I'm going to embarrass my wife over a little, a little here, but so my apologies. Sometimes my wife and I would just think about when we're at, when we're in LA and we're right back here. Sometimes we think about individual. We wonder why is this person not married? Like they would be such a blessing to someone if someone asked them out or someone. Uh, or, or, or they ask someone out. And I know that some of, for some of you, it's, you know, you're in different life stages, there's different circumstances in your life, and I get some of them. I'm not trying to judge you here, but some of them might be a financial reason. Uh, you think you're not, uh, you don't have enough money to get married, and others might fear dating because you don't feel that you're mature enough or not ready. And you know the reality is none of us are wealthy enough, none of us are mature enough, all of us need to grow. But the first step is that you must fear the Lord. If you fear the Lord and you want to honor the Lord with every aspect of your life, you will do well in your marriage. It is actually better for you to struggle financially with a spouse than to uh, fall into sexual sin as a single person. Struggling financially isn't a sin, but giving into sexual lust is. It's better for you to be physically poor with someone and be rich in the Lord than to be wealthy but morally bankrupt. Here's another word for encouragement to the single people here. There are people in this fellowship group that my wife and I think, oh, these people are great. You know, we look at, we we pray for some, we pray for you guys, and we we look at some of you. And we're like, yeah, that, that that person should get married. Uh, we don't know why. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, I want to embarrass some other people here. So remember, Roger and Stacey. Some of you guys were at Roger Stacey's when You remember they posted that? There's like every few minutes, it seems to be a picture of Alex Van. <laughs> it was hilarious to me because it's true like yeah man why is he single and then you know there's like guys like alex and like eric you know these guys are really godly mature individuals sorry i'm throwing you guys under the bus embarrassing i'll buy you guys stuff to make up for it but it's like, yeah, if, if they, if, ladies, if, they, if any of these guys, like, mature godly guys ask you out, you should just say, I will take, yeah, I, I so-and-so take you as my husband, because these guys are legit. Um, and there's some people like that. There's a lot of people, a lot of you um, are, are mature, and a lot of you are immature, but all of us need to grow. You know, maturity is, it seems like a subjective thing. Um, but if you fear the Lord, you're on the right path. And that's what I'm trying to say, like, um, be encouraged. Like, you're never gonna be where you are in the moment. But if you're faithful to the Lord, if you're honoring to the Lord in all that you do, you will grow. The person that you are today will not be uh, the same person six months from now because you're, if you're applying God's word to your life if you're faithful to the Lord, you're going to be different and you're going to be more like Christ. And if you are married to someone like that, your wife or your husband is going to be different because in your relationship should be sweeter because you're both growing in Christ-likeness. That person looks like Christ and then makes you cherish Christ more and makes you cherish the other person more. That's just a general... Um, principle when it comes to marriage, um, the reality is that all of us uh, need to work in our life. Married people, single people, all of us need to grow. Pursuing a spouse takes work, and maintaining a marriage takes work. But for those who cannot find a spouse, Scripture tells us uh, that the, the Scripture tells us that he who finds a wife finds a good thing and receives favor from the Lord. The implication is that you actually need to try. Um, now, just a warning though that just because you're married doesn't mean that you will be content because there are married people that would foolishly give themselves up to a foreigner, and uh, which is why the second is more important. First one, if, uh, if you're single, what are we supposed well to do with this? Get married. If, you, if you're struggling with finding a spouse and you haven't found a spouse yet, then the second one's actually more important than the first one, that's to be satisfied in Christ. You need to be satisfied in the Lord. More importantly than finding a spouse is that you need to be satisfied in the Lord. So you need to ask yourself, are you satisfied with the Lord? That means that are you thankful for the gospel? Are you thankful that you have a relationship with the Lord? That when you have Christ, you have everything and you need nothing else. Um, There's nothing else in the world that can be added to your life that will make you more happy. Um, There's nothing that that can be taken away that will make you sad because you have Christ. If you're satisfied in the Lord, um, then you wouldn't be tempted by anything else. Uh, now, this doesn't say that just just this doesn't mean that just because you're completely satisfied that means you can't pursue marriage. I believe that if you are honoring to the Lord, the Lord will work in your heart, and His will and your desires will work together, so you could pursue whatever you want to do in Korea or even a spouse. If you're faithful to the Lord and all that you do, you can honor the Lord and and, and just do whatever you like, because you know that your desires are what God wants you to do. That's, again, the caveat is that you are actually faithful to the Lord. If you're not, then all your desires are all out of whack because you're focusing yourself and not the glory of God. But that all hinges on your satisfaction in Christ. If you're satisfied in the Lord, it will work in your desires and, and, and get, give you the spouse that uh, will honor him and even give you happiness in this life. You were first made to love and worship God and have that love for the Lord um, you find delight in not one sin against the Lord. Now I want you to discern the word of the adulterer or distance yourself from them or distance yourself from them or determine the destruction of the adulterer or delighting in your spouse. But lastly, a mature Christian dreads the consequences of adultery. The wise and mature Christian dreads the consequences of adultery. Verse 21, for the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord. He watches all his ways. The, this is a horrifying passage because God knows. Basically, this, this is the ultimate antidote against sexual sin in a way to guard yourself, uh, guard your purity, is to realize that God is always there. God sees you. God knows all your thoughts, all your actions, all your search history. God knows everything, whether that means it's on your device or with a person God sees it all. You need to truly know that God is omniscient and omnipresent. That fear that you have is actually going to guard you from sin. It's a good fear to have to know that God is there. Uh, that means that at minimum, at least one person in all of existence knows of your secret sin. You might think that you're hiding it, but no, the Lord knows, and that should terrify you. Proverbs 15:3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. Uh, Job chapter 34, verse 21, it reads, for his eyes are upon the way of a man and he sees all his steps. One more passage just for us to understand Hebrews um, chapter 4, verse 13. And there is no creature hidden from the sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Everything that we do in life, the Lord sees, and that should keep you from falling into sin. First Corinthians actually tells us something that is very interesting about being a Christian and, being, and having the Lord in dwelling in our life. First Corinthians six tells us that when you sin, you're actually bringing the Lord into your sin. This doesn't this doesn't mean that God sins or somehow He's going to be corrupted by your sin, but it just means that you bring Him with you when you're sinning. Um, and you know, as Christians, we need to keep we're called to keep our thoughts captive. You need to own your mind. Your mind doesn't own you. You need to own your body and don't let the, your own body own you. You need to have control over your own vessel. And what will help you with that is, again, understanding that the Lord is watching everything that you're doing. I know that just in general, if you know that someone's watching, if you're like working and your boss is around, you're not going to sleep right in front of them. Uh, if you're if your teacher's standing right next to you and you're taking an exam, you're not going to cheat right next to them. And you know what? What's, what is greater than a boss or a teacher is the Lord. The Lord is there when you're working and when you're at school. Um, and that should terrify you. And you need to understand that the Lord is watching. He sees everything that you're doing. He's offended by it. So have that fear of the Lord and understand that He's everywhere. Verse 22 His own iniquities will capture the wicked. He will be held with the cord of his sin. He will die for lack of instruction in the greenness and in the greatness of his folly. He will go astray. The result of not heeding the warnings of God's watchful eye will lead a person to be destroyed by their sin. The person that embraces sexual sin is robbed of their life. This person is doomed more than just physical pain. But over time, if a person becomes callous to their sexual sin, it's possible they'll end up leaving the faith or continue to live a lie and get denounced by the Lord when the Lord sees them. Sexual sin is dangerous and is elusive. You need to guard your life from it. A wise, immature believer understands the dangers of sexual sin and seeks to stay as far away as possible. A mature believer never dabbles in any sort of sexual sin. It is never okay in any situation. And what is sad about sexual sin is, is that very thing that's supposed to make you happy is actually going to make you miserable. It's gonna rob you of, of true joy and lasting uh, meaning. Sexual sin causes physical and temporal pain. And sadly, some of their, uh, some, for some, their temporal pleasure can, may, may cause earthly pain, uh, will be in great, there'll be even a greater pain when they experience the wrath of God in the next life. They think they could just do whatever they want in this life and then the next life um, that they're, they're free from any type of turmoil. But if you are callous to glory, eventually you're not gonna even care about the judgment of the Lord. But when, when you realize it, it's gonna be too late. These five principles that we, go, that we went through today, it's hopefully just a uh, biblical wisdom in terms of how we can guard ourselves this coming week. We discern the the adulterer's speech. We need to distance ourselves from the adulterer. We need to delight in our spouse. We dread the destruction by the adulterer. Um, A mature believer has foresight into the situation. Uh, They calculate the cost of things. They realize some things you should never do. Uh, Falling into tribal sexual sin is one of those things. You need to know and resolve in your heart that you will live a pure life before the Lord. You need to make resolutions now those very moments, whether you're doing your Bible studies or prayer, you need to build build and continue building, reinforcing um, your defenses so that when those temptations come, you will learn to flee or or you'll be protected from it. You need to be constantly guarding your heart and set your mind on the things above. And you need to make sure that um, and understand that sexual sin is dangerous because the outcome of that is, is it's going to wreck your life. And We'll talk more about this next week when we go to Proverbs, chapter seven. Let's go to Lord in prayer, Heavenly Father. We are um, we're thankful for the warnings that you give us, Lord. I do know that in a group like this, there are probably um, some that are struggling um, with discontentment and um, with purity. And Lord, I ask that you just give us uh, all grace to be able to um, to find to, to not only find the escape but to run from any sin that we have and we be willing to let go of of whatever it may be in our life whether it's relationships or 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 entertainment or anything that would make us uh, fall or or sway our hearts to think um, wrongly about the gift that you have made for marriage and lord i do pray for the individuals here um that are struggling um please guard them and even for married people, guard us as well, um, that we're able to honor you with all that we do, no matter what status we're in. <clears throat> Lord, uh, have your heart, have your work uh, shape our hearts and convict us, soften our, our, our hearts so that we can um, be sensitive towards sin. And for those that are maybe callous, that you would use this message to, to shake them, uh, to make them realize the dangers, of the path that they're living in. Lord, we want our hearts to be pure before you. You know this, the, the depths of our hearts. You know how wicked we can be. Uh, but we also trust that you can work in us so that we can um, be free from any enslavement, Lord. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your word and giving us the opportunity for us to learn and study it. May we apply it this day and this week. Um, pray these things, in your son's name. Amen.